Hi, this is Bader from D2Cville. D2Cville is a story-driven platform where we talk about direct-to-consumer brands, e-commerce technologies, and everything in the D2C world. And today, in the new episode of D2Cville's podcast, we are together with Kyle Bergman, founder and the chief Swoverls officer at Swoverls. Um, the brand brings together sweatpants and overalls and offers a wide range of comfy products for everyday wear. Hi, Kyle. How are you doing? I'm doing great, bad dear. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm enjoying a sunny day in Germany, Berlin. Um, where are you dialing from? I am coming to you live from Brooklyn, New York City. Amazing, amazing. Um, so to get started, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background, maybe? Yes, I uh, well, first, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's great to be here chatting with you. I am a reluctant businessman, uh, and I'll talk more about what I mean when I say that, but I, um, I grew up in, in a family where my, my parents were in the, in the retail and fashion space, my grandparents were. And so I think starting my own business at some point uh, was kind of maybe already written, it was in my blood. Uh, born in New York City, grew up in the Northeast uh, in America, went to, went to school undergraduate to study psychology, actually, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I've always found the brain fascinating, learning about sex, drugs, alcohol, cognitive disorders, consumer behavior. Uh, and after school, I went and worked at a uh, specialty department store in uh, America called Bloomingdale's. And I was a buyer and planner at Bloomingdale's. After four years there, I went to a subscription box company called Birchbox, uh, which was an amazing experience working at um, what a, one of the most popular kind of startup technology companies at that time, around like 2015, 2016. I went to business school at NYU it was there that I started Swoveralls. Talk a little bit more about that in a moment, I'm sure. And Swoveralls is turning six this July, 2023. It's been, it's been an amazing journey uh, with a lot of ups and downs. And I'm excited to you know, open up the comfy kimono and share anything and everything about my journey starting this brand. Well, thank you very much for, for being open and, and sharing your story with us today. Um, from your previous life, let's call it, before Swoverls, what kind of experiences that you had helped you to helped you in your journey at Swoverls? The experience that I had working at Bloomingdale's and Birchbox was invaluable. And anyone that is listening to this, that is thinking about starting their own business, uh, or maybe has started it and is still working a full-time job or getting paid by someone else, I would strongly encourage you to keep working the full-time job as long as you can until you're able to pay yourself from your from the business that you started, or continue to learn skill sets that can pay dividends almost from day one. I'll give you some specific examples. When I started at Bloomingdale's, I didn't really know how to use Excel. I knew how to write simple formulas, but at a corporate retailer, 
it might sound sexy on paper being a buyer at a retail fashion company, but really what you're doing is you are analyzing widgets all day. I worked in the luggage department. I worked in the cosmetics department. I worked in the jewelry department, which might sound interesting to people, but at the end of the day, you're looking at SKUs on a spreadsheet. And so understanding how to synthesize data, how to use VLOOKUPs, how to use pivot tables, how to make informed decisions was something that I developed at Bloomingdale's and continue, I continue to use that to this day. At Birchbox, I was the um, senior buyer for the grooming division and I was responsible for going out and finding new brands that could come into Birchbox. And so I had to strengthen my sales skills. I had to develop presentations, learn how to tell stories. And as a founder now, I am the salesperson. I'm also the intern. I'm also the financial analyst. And so as a solo founder, being able to work in a more corporate environment uh, is, is so helpful. And I think the last thing I'll say there before I take a breath is my, I think that's also kind of my cheat code as far as Swoveralls goes. Everyone has cheat codes. Everyone has strengths or things that they can work on. And for me, being classically trained in retail, in fashion was only natural that I go and create my own apparel company because that's kind of what I knew how to do. I, I also want to create an app. I don't know how to code. I don't know if I really have any cheat codes when it comes to creating a technology app. So I think for that, I'd have to find maybe a technical co-founder. Uh, but that's a, that's a story for another time. <laughs> Um, so you touched on an interesting topic, like for people who are actually working on a day job and they want to start their business one day, thinking about your own journey when you were working as an employee, um, did you always have the ambition to start something? Yes, I always had a desire to, to lead, to, to want to be the hero, if you, if you will. I um, was lucky enough to be captain of sports teams that I was on growing up. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the face. I wanted to be the guy that scored the game-winning goal. I wanted to, you know, be disruptive and innovative. And more times than not, I missed the game-winning goal. Um, I failed so many times, and. Early on in my corporate career, I wanted to be CEO. I wanted, and and when I realized how long it can take to get to the top of a corporate ladder and playing the politics, uh, I thought, oh wait, if I just start my own company, then I can become CEO. But I also, you know, before I before I thought of starting with Swoveralls, I knew that I wanted to start something. I wasn't sure exactly what it was, and there were also signals in my world that were telling me that maybe I was better suited to be an entrepreneur. For example, in my corporate career, I was constantly being told to kind of stay in my lane, focus on my tasks. I always wanted to go and and do other things and, and get my hands dirty. And I I'm not very good at just focusing on one specific thing. Like I, I, I can get into a flow state for like a day or two and focus on a task, but to do a job and just be that that person have that identity was very difficult for me. I admire people that are able to do that. And we need those people. We need both types of people. Mm -hmm. But I realized early on that maybe I need to 
to build things in order to create more value and, and maybe have more purpose. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned that your corporate experience actually helped you to sharpen your skills about making analysis using Excel sheets or um, organizing or orchestrating different teams um, in, in a way to run for the single mission. But was there a time where you said like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm mature enough to go take that step? Um, or was there a time where you were about to take the step to start your own business, but you said like, hold on, maybe I need to spend a couple more years here to, to get fully baked maybe. Um, so I'm asking this because people will ask like, when is the right time for switching from the day job to my own business? When do you really feel ready? The right time is now, you could argue. The, it's such a subjective feeling. And I have, to a degree, been blessed and cursed with um, a sense of confidence that sometimes is rooted in data and is sometimes just a gut feeling. I think the most important data point that supported me starting Swoveralls was when I discovered in 2015 that around 500 to 1,000 people a month were Googling the keyword term sweatpan overalls. Before that, I knew that sweatpan overalls didn't exist and I wanted a pair, and that was a personal problem. But when I discovered that other people were actually Googling this thing, if I made sweatpan overalls, it seems like there's already demand that I would be able to fulfill. Mm -hmm. What if you're listening to this and you're wondering, when is it time to launch? Do you have enough confidence in being able to actually fulfill the demand that is either actually out there or is that demand just in your head and that's the most, you know, one of the, I think, top three most common mistakes that entrepreneurs make is they come up with an idea. Of course, you think your idea is amazing because it came up with your own brain. But how many other people really care about that? How painful is it? And I got really lucky with overalls, I think, to, to invent sweatpan overalls and, and uncover this was, has consistently been um, a driver for me to to take new leaps and new risks within the business. Mm -hmm. And it's good that you mentioned testing the waters about demand, if people really need that, if there's a pain in the market. But when you invent something new, just like you did, um, you will not find people searching for the keyword swirls. So therefore, you need to kind of like materialize that idea and test it with maybe a small group of people, friends and family or um, who were the first people that you shared this idea with and, and how did you test it? It was actually at, so a, a little bit of a, a story. So I found when I discovered that sweatpants overalls didn't exist, what I did find was a supplier through Alibaba mm -hmm. that had like a, a rendering of what sweatpants overalls could look like. And I, at the time, was a buyer at Birchbox and knew that if you wanted to place a big order with a supplier, if you asked for a sample, they would give you a sample. And I thought, 
I'll get a sample and it'll be, that'll be it. Like I'll get my pair of sweatpants overalls and I can ride off into the sunset. When I asked for a sample, I expected to receive it for free. And they said they were going to charge me like $150, which I thought was crazy. I was so used to getting samples for free. And for like six months, I didn't do anything. I just refused to pay $150. I finally got the sample and it was incredible. I mean, it was it was very close to what we actually offer now. It was overalls made out of a sweatpant material. They were amazing. I wore them to work at Birchbox. I asked people about them. I asked my parents what they thought. My dad thought I was crazy. My dad still thinks I'm crazy. My mom was open to the idea, but was like, I think more risk averse than- Do than any I of them bear, bear them today? They, my mom wears them um, sometimes. I don't think either of my parents will like put them on the way that I, you know, no, I think, I think probably the answer is no, they're not. But um, we have customers. One of the amazing things about customers to go on a tangent, our Swoveralls customers is that we have a lot of older folks that do wear them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's been really cool to see that what unites the Swoveralls customer isn't a certain age or gender, but it's just this desire to want to be super comfortable and, and something that's a little bit quirky. Uh, and so that's been really cool. Um, but to, to kind of go back, I, you know, when I first got them, that created so much confidence and momentum for me to keep going. And so if anyone's listening to this, you have an idea, um, get to your MVP as quickly as you can, your minimum viable product, get a prototype, get a sample, get it in people's hands. I think when you see there is no better feeling, well, there's a couple of really awesome feelings, getting your first sale, like Bahadir, I'm sure getting your first, you know, client with Fabricator and, you know, getting your first sale that isn't like your cousin buying a pair of swiveralls. That's an amazing feeling, but also before you even get to revenue, getting the sample or your service into the hands of someone that has that problem and seeing you solve that solution is really what makes it all worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, get to the MVP, get out of your head, get to the MVP as soon as you can. And, you know, one thing I will say to you kind of out loud, maybe we, I have an idea. I just kind of was formulating an idea, getting to that point can be really painful. Um, getting, doing the rigor of understanding if there's a problem, um, doing customer discovery research, it sucks. I hate doing it. Some people do, but I don't think that there's solutions out there that make it super easy and painless for people to test their ideas. If they do, none are coming to my mind. And I'm like, I, I wanna, that's painful. Everyone has an idea. Oh, you have to go find a supplier and make a sample. How many people, you really, you have to be strong and a little crazy to start your own business, certainly in apparel. But now I'm thinking that would be something cool to offer people. Mm-hmm. I think um, people coming from a corporate background might also fall, have, have that, um, um, have that mistake of overanalyzing or maybe trying to do 
and markets research more than they need to do. And in that kind of moments, I always remind myself that if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you're probably late. So adding on top of what you said, um, the, the oh, right time to start is now. Um, just do something, put together. And if you're embarrassed, that's a good thing. It means that there's a room for improvement. And, and that's where you make difference. Um, so going back to making improvements, you mentioned that the supplier from Alibaba, um, you got your first sample. And today, when I look at your website, I see that you are working with a sustainable uh, manufacturer. So obviously, there is an improvement in, in terms of um, supply, manufacturing, and the values that you uh, stick to. Um, tell us more about that. Like Maybe walk us through from the moment you got the sample until where you are today. How did the product and the mindset evolve? I know it's a long journey to tell, but maybe the highlights. Yes, yes. I'll, I'll try and make this brief. I think <clears throat> working with suppliers, and I remember listening to um, uh, Maxim, I think, in, in your previous episode, right. said something I, I really resonated with, something along the lines of he, you know, he's with his fourth or fifth supplier at this point, and finding the right suppliers is kind of like, finding um, your spouse, you know, some people are lucky enough to date the same person that they've been dating since grade school, and they grow old together. But most people need to date to find the right partner, because you don't even know what you want uh, mm. at the beginning. And a lot of, you know, yes, there are 3PLs and suppliers out there that are disingenuous and not good. Uh, but there's a lot out there that are amazing and you just don't know if to, to ask the right questions or you're not, you're not exactly sure what services you need. Um, so that all said, we are on suppliers like six and seven right now in our six year history. And for 3PLs, we are on our, our third 3PL. Uh, from a sustainability standpoint, after finding the Alibaba supplier, we moved to LA uh, and that's where I started to learn more about um, paying people a living wage, not just a fair wage, and also using sustainable fabrics. Now, as you know, when I said earlier about opening up the kimono and being super transparent with everyone and with all of you listening, we're at a crossroads right now because it is, if we continue to make most of our products in LA, we will go out of business. And it's something that I think about because you know, almost like a, a Japanese samurai warrior, if you want to be like, do I want to die on my sword by saying, if I can't make things in the US at a living wage with sustainable materials, then I'd rather kill the business. That That is what we hold ourselves to. Now, the other side of my head is saying, Swoveralls for four years now has been a proud member of 1% for the planet. 1% for the Planet is a nonprofit that connects brands with other nonprofits that are helping the environment. Mm -hmm. The 1% means that 1% of our top line sales, not 1% of net profit, 1% of revenue, we donate to at-risk communities and people planting trees, <laughs> essentially. And over the course of our time, Swoveross has donated $45,000 to these types of nonprofits. 
Swoverall's in his entire existence has done like three and a half million dollars. And what's crazy is that I don't pay myself from the business, at least not yet. And so I'm thinking like, how can I have super organic fabrics and donate 1% of revenue, uh, you know, and, and try to support myself on, on the business, something has to give. And so we have moved some things overseas. We're working with suppliers that we trust and do a great job. This morning, I was looking at different fabric options we have for a new collection. I could buy the fabric that is organic and comes with a certification showing that it's organic. I could buy the fabric that is organic, doesn't have a certification, which uh, that's not even an option. I mean, how do I know anyways? Or I could buy non-organic fabric. The non-organic fabric is $2 per yard cheaper, which is a material, that's a serious difference. And so I'm thinking, maybe we go with the non-organic option for this collection. Does that mean that we're not sustainable? 1% of every pair sold from this collection is going to be donated to nonprofits. And so these are things that I think about. How do I, you know, and the founder of Patagonia, Patagonia, Yvonne Chonard, who is the founder of 1%, has an amazing quote that I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but in order to do amazing good, sometimes you have to do a little bit more harm in the short term. And so to kind of spell that out with Swoveralls, if we start making some of our collections with non-organic fabric, we're going to be able to sell more because we make more money on the products. We invest more into marketing. We can make more. And the more that we make, the more revenue, the more we donate to communities. And so I'm like, what do I, you know, it's, it's, and I think, one th- I was talking about this with the with another founder recently. They asked me a really good question. What do your customers care about? Hmm. I think I for us. Ask. So uh, well, I, and the, you know, I think the number one thing that our, you know, if you look at our reviews, our hundreds of reviews on our site, it's it's about comfort, it's about inclusivity, it's about being gender neutral and offering something for everyone. There's not a lot on there about it being made in the U.S. There's not a lot on there about it being sustainable materials. I think it's kind of like, you know, the classic Allbirds story. People like wearing Allbirds because they're really cool and they're comfortable and they're affordable. And then the fact that, like, they're made from sheep in New Zealand is, like, kind of nice, but that's not why people are buying them. And so for us, it's like I know that, you know, it's I want to do everything the right way. I want to do everything in the, in the most sustainable way. If I do everything in the most sustainable way, Swoveralls doesn't last another six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, that's, that's one of the things that, that we, um, that we, you know, think about a lot. I think there's also about like ethical production, sustainable production practices. Um, that space is quite noisy. Um, if, if you look at it, everyone is saying like, we are doing our part when it comes to sustainability, even fast fashion brands you see today, um, they're promising that they're doing this. And it's, it's a crowded space and people might be, um, the consumers might be tired of these kind of promises. But if you look at the clothing in, industry, what you're doing, um, unisex clothing is, is rare. 
it's not that easy to find um, a product like like yours is one of a kind um, that can be used by men, women, uh, children. It's gender neutral, doesn't matter. So it's unique and seems like based on the, the feedback that you get from your customers, they also value that. So while on one hand you have something that people value, you can double down on that. On the other hand, you can still push for the sustainability message, which is going to risk your business in the end. So I think to me as an outsider, the path is quite clear. Um, I always listen to the voice of customer, what they need, what they want, what they value and, and follow that. And, and I'm pretty sure um, soon you will get out of this dilemma and, and deliver the best for your customers, the environment, and also for your business. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Bahadir. Thank you. And we, you know, the, the, the giant wheel of sustainability, I think a lot of people um, naturally think about using renewable materials or sustainable materials, but there are other components of that wheel. For example, making something that's built to last, you know, a mm -hmm. pair of swoveralls is going to last you, I'd like to think a lifetime. And so you don't ne necessarily have to buy another pair. Now, investors, which luckily I don't have any, but that's not something that you necessarily want to sell. It's like, could could Apple make the iPhone, each iPhone last 10 years? Absolutely. But why does my phone seem to break every two years? Because they're a for-profit company. Um, and the other thing is uh, regarding sustainability, what was I going to say? Oh, I lost it. So we... Um, Being durable? Being, being durable and then uh, I'll come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe another question will help. Um, yeah. Do you offer uh, free repairs? Because when you say product needs to be durable, just like Patagonia, can you take it to a store to get it repaired easily? Yeah, they so, sometimes people will be like, be hiking or, or playing or doing something in their swoveralls and they and like a buckle or something might break. And what we'll do is we'll partially refund their order so that they can use the savings to go to a local seamstress mm -hmm. or tailor. Um, they, they usually hold up though. They're pretty good. Um, I think uh, the, the other, okay. So the other thing within the sustainability, so two other things within the sustainability wheel. Thank you, Bahadir, for getting my brain rolling. So number one is to is to not buy new products. And that's something else that as a founder of a company that sells new things, I shouldn't be saying, but if you really are passionate about sustainability, you should go to thrift stores and buy things that have already been worn. Um, and then the last thing, and this is something that we are going to be focusing more on and actually not to do a good segue into the, the lovely tool fabricator, which is helping with this, but inventory is, is kind of awkward because in inventory just exists because you can't match supply and demand perfectly. And so one of the things that we're gonna start doing more of is crowdfunding campaigns, where we're really gonna, only gonna make what people buy. And maybe we'll make a few more because we understand that, wow, we pre-ordered 50 mediums. I bet if we make 60, we'll sell them. Like we know that that's gonna happen. But um, Alohas, alohas.io is an amazing website that does a really good job with the crowdfunding business model. Taylor Stitch is another one. Everyone knows Kickstarter, but now mm -hmm. brands are starting to embed this crowdfunding concept into their own business. And that's something that we want to do with, 
with swoveralls and really only make what people are buying. Hmm. Yeah, I remember when we had our first chat, you mentioned this and it made me quite excited because um, maybe our listeners do not know, um, I'm, I'm the founder of a company called Fabricator, which is doing um, inventory management um, for D2C brands like Swoverills. And that's how we met Kyle. In our first call, um, he mentioned this to me. And at that time, I was quite excited about how we tie pre-orders uh, to the CRM system of D2Cs and also the supply chain part of it and making it a smooth integration. And it's actually what you're saying about this crowdfunding is one step beyond. It's the, the customer experience is similar to placing a pre-order, but the waiting time is longer, but it works to wait because you know that you're serving to a greater purpose, um, reducing the waste in manufacturing. So for the consumers, it also makes sense. Um, but to do that, it always... Um, it always challenges me at that point. You need a, you need to have a community to to run that campaign. Do you have the community right now, or how are you planning to build that? I think there's, I think we need two two communities. We need a community behind the curtains, and we need a community in front. And as far as our Swoveralls community in front, our customers, I believe that we have a large enough community, um, either that's currently a customer or through you know the magic of making lookalike audiences on the Facebook and Instagrams of the world to get people excited about crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. um, on the back end, and actually, you know, this is something, you know, I talked earlier about using Excel and you know data analysis. I don't want any listeners to think that that's my strength because it's actually far from it. I am very, very right brain. And if you look at the Swoveralls TikTok or social media, you'll see kind of where I gravitate towards. I'm a, I'm a creator. I'm good at visualizing things, but the complexities that go into planning a crowdfunding order and managing that supply chain, yes, you're mitigating inventory risk, but I need someone that really understands. And I actually, on LinkedIn, I, I messaged the founder of Aloha's and said, I really love what you're doing. I'm trying to copy it. Can we talk? Like, I, I don't care. And, and, and for anyone that's watching this, if you want to reach out to me and talk, I'm going to get back to you. Like, I, I've been so lucky with people who I want to be like or who, whose companies I want to build after who have given me their time. So, you know, kind of going back to, you know, making a sample, making an MVP, also just be ruthless with um, your intellectual curiosity and, and talking to people. Um, and actually, yeah, but I mean, Bahadir, I want to talk like, I'll, I'll kind of not to put you on the spot, but with Fabricator, like, I want to, I really want to partner and see how we can, there's a lot of pain in my future with making this crowdfunding model. And like, you've mm -hmm. built something beautiful that I'm using. And like, the, it, there's just something there. There's got to be something there. And I see you smiling. So I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we, will, we will definitely. So also anyone who's listening, interested in the idea, um, you, can, you can reach out to Kyle. You can reach out to me if that's easier. And we would, we would love to brainstorm with like-minded people um, because I like to have the clash of ideas. And I believe the best innovations come, come out of um, healthy conflict. 
in such a way. So my next question is about you being a solo founder. Um, I, I imagine how it is. Um, I've never been a solo founder myself. I was always uh, paired with my co-founder, but time to time we even say like, I wish we were three or four people as a founding team. So you're doing something very difficult uh, as a solo founder. And what are some of the tools that helped you to ease down that load on you um, when it comes to maybe automating stuff um, or helping you with the creatives? Can you name like three tools that helped you to free up some time? Yes, um, let's go with Google Calendar. Um, I and I, I don't think this like I I hope this is um, really revolutionary for someone that's listening, but maybe some of you will will roll their eyes at this. But I block off. I make meetings with myself in my calendar to work on tasks that I have to do. That does two things. That blocks off my calendar from working on anything else. And it also tricks me into assigning myself a task so that I, so that I do it. And so I think mm -hmm. Google calendar is huge for me. Um, one thing that I've actually started doing more recently in the last six months is that one week, every month, I don't make any new meetings. And so with some of my partners, we have weekly recurring meetings, production, some things you just have to stay on weekly, but every day things come up and you can easily pack your entire calendar every week. And so I try to create one week a month where I have time to be a, a maker versus a manager, which is, um, there's a, you know, Paul Graham has an amazing essay about maker versus manager schedules. There's a lot about it. Uh, I, I think I, you know, I gravitate more to, well, I don't know. I'm pretty 50, 50 with each. And, uh, I think so Gmail, um, you know, I, I, this is not just a, another plug, but fabricator. So I, this is a, a supply chain and inventory management tool that I look at every Monday and it helps me understand what products we should reorder. And it's really great because it syncs with Shopify. And, you know, when I was, I found fabricator looking on Shopify apps for something that could do, actually, my wife recommended another tool that I found that wasn't that I ended up not going with, obviously. And before that, we were doing everything in spreadsheets. And so I, it's it's been a huge time saver for me. Um, and a third tool, um, I, I guess I got to go with Slack. I wish um, Slack is you know a great way for us to communicate. Um, I'll say 3B is Notion. Um, and I've only just started really using Notion and like, it's so powerful. I, I just discovered that I can, I have, I use Airtable too. There's some things that I can do now in Notion that I'm realizing. Notion is also synced to ChatGPT. So it's like, it, it's, it's awesome. Um, so yeah, those yeah. are, those are some of the tools that I'm using. Amazing. Um, thank you very much for, for mentioning Fabricateur. Um, and I want to ask about marketing side of the business, because you are pretty much involved in the, in, in the content creation. We see your face everywhere on the website, on your social media. Um, how do you make time for it? Do you always like look for an opportunity to shoot a new video since you are always wearing your own uh, products, overalls? Um, 
so maybe you are walking in downtown and just like babe hold my phone i'm gonna just shoot a new video for <laughs> for instagram <laughs> like does it does it work like that or do you do you plan it that that has happened before um my, my wife has uh begrudgingly been the director of photography on a number of shoots but uh going back to the gmail calendar uh actually in the first quarter of this year january february march i set a goal for myself to make between 15 and 20 TikTok videos a week um oh. all organic and i thought if i could do that um at least one of them will go viral last year we had a couple videos go viral one video got six million views which led to like sixty thousand dollars in sales. It was crazy, and um, I, I I averaged I think twelve and a half videos per week for Q one, and didn't really have any of them go viral. We we acquired new followers, but nowhere like we did last year. And I think that's just the the fickle aspect of the algorithm. So that's kind of a long winded way of saying it's planned. That definitely burned me out too. I haven't been as on as much of a cadence, but um, this week we're launching a new product actually this coming Friday. I've set aside some time to make some videos. It's, um, I'd say 50% of our videos are uh, kind of organic ideas that I have and 50% are hopping on trends, but just kind of editing them to be more in the Swoverall's voice. There's so many amazing creators out there on TikTok and Instagram, and we've actually been starting to do YouTube shorts more as well, um, which I think for for younger creators that are looking for a blue ocean to go into, YouTube shorts is nowhere near as saturated. So we've been having some more success there. Um, you know, for example, like our videos on TikTok, no matter what we do, it seems like we'll get between like two and 800 views these days, which is maybe a lot for some people, but for us, it's a fraction of what we used to get on YouTube shorts. Now our videos are getting like two, three, 4,000 views, which is, which is great. Um, What's so your highest performing content like on TikTok? This is, this is where it just makes me insane because our highest, our highest viewed video is a five second video of me with just a trending audio. And in the giant river that is TikTok, this video just got picked up. It got 6 million views. Our other, some of our other stuff has done well. It, I think the things that do the best are where I'm talking about a feature of Swoveralls um, or I'm talking about the price of Swoveralls. People, people on TikTok are so mean. And some people get so offended that we would even consider selling sweatpants overalls for $100. It gives me an amazing opportunity to educate people on unit economics, on how much it costs to actually make something as a small business. And so there's been a lot of dialogue. And luckily, there are people in the TikTok world who, who understand small businesses, who understand trying to create a sustainable fashion company. So it's... Uh, it's, it, I guess to answer your question, it's usually around something with sweatpants overalls, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, TikTok is not only uh, for marketing or attracting customers to you, but it's also a way uh, for you to engage with them by having conversations, exchanging ideas, um, which is amazing. I think it's a very valuable um, input. Um, so let's talk about the... Um, 
partners, stakeholders um, in, in, in your life? Like, obviously, um, you must be working with a fulfillment center, maybe a 3PL. There must be your accountant um, and supplier. Those are the ones that I can imagine. But um, anyone else that you want to mention as a key player in your operations? The, the other key players are on the marketing side. We um, work with a, with a crew of contractors that help in a couple different areas. I think, you know, under marketing, I'm going to put the, the website, I'll put social media, and I'll put email. And we have a team of people that are helping with all different parts of, of that. Um, most of them are overseas. And it's not, you know, although I'll be making some of the organic content to run Facebook ads or Google, um, it requires a level of know-how and time that I'm very fortunate that I'm able to, to kind of allocate and delegate to, to that team. Um, recently hired a, a website developer um, that's helping us increase conversion. That's a, that's a massive opportunity for us. Our conversion is on the lower side. And so we want to make sure that, you know, if people go to our website right now, they'd probably say, Oh, this looks like a, like a good website. Like, like, you, you know, it all. And for me, it, it's nice to hear that, you know, because it's kind of like looking at, it, it's like operating on yourself every day. Like all you see is the, is the opportunities um, and also consumers don't really understand what might be pulling them away from making a purchase. And there's mm -hmm. so many apps out there and there's so many little widgets that you can use. So, um, that's, that's a huge focus for us is, is just increasing website conversion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, naturally. And that's, that's quite important to have a, a conversion rate optimization person or someone defending that domain in, in your company. So. Um, we are coming to the end of this episode. It was lovely talking to you, and I'm pretty sure um, D2C founders or soon-to-be founders are going to enjoy it as well. So before we close, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? I um... Is there anything else? I think it's uh, it's very exciting to start something um a lot of people think that exciting means happy but starting a business can be really hard and i'll kind of start with the with the sad part of what i'm saying but i don't look at starting a business as trying to win i look at it as trying to learn and trying to grow and if you have a mindset of wanting to learn and grow then it's not as scary uh, when you go off and, and try to build something. So um, it sometimes does take a reminder when days can be tough. But if you think about everything as being an amazing learning opportunity, then you are setting yourself up to, to certainly learn and therefore be successful. Amazing. Thank you very much for, for all the transparency and, and sharing your learnings uh, from your heart and anyone who's interested in connecting with Kyle or learning more about Swirls, you will be finding the details and the links in the description of this podcast. Um, thank you very much, Kyle, and I wish you a successful journey.
Thank you. Thanks, Bahadur, for having me.